0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivry, I'm your host. Today, the children of Refuseniks report from Moscow. Yesterday, a man by the name of Alexei Navalny was sentenced to a five-year prison term in Russia for what most people say are trumped-up charges of embezzlement. Navalny is an anti-corruption activist, and if you know anything about him, or about Pussy Riot, or about new laws in Russia that erode freedom of speech, that punish homosexuals, that intimidate non-governmental organizations, there is an excellent chance you've read the work of Masha Gessen, Miriam Elder, or Michael Idov. Gessen, Elder, and Idov are all children of Soviet refuseniks, and all three of these individuals have invested a lot of their journalistic careers in understanding what's happening in Russia and in making that place comprehensible to the rest of us. But as the picture there turns ever grimmer, it's not certain how much longer they'll stick around. Vox Tablet contributor Julia Barton brings us this report.
1: During the Cold War, there wasn't a better assignment in the world for an American journalist than Moscow. Editors wanted as many stories as they could get from the USSR. The empire was closed off, mysterious, and threatening. Moscow correspondents got all the prestige of decoding this strange world without having to dig too deep, because they couldn't. Most Soviets wouldn't even talk to foreigners. So a whole other country churned unseen just below the front page reports on Kremlin intrigues, that country was Russia, and all the 15 nations that emerged from the imploded USSR. Once that place opened up in 1991, we discovered how weird and folksy and chaotic it was. But it still bears the marks of a closed-off society. If you didn't grow up there, you will always be the stupidest person in the room in Russia. If you did grow up there... Well, it's really hard to explain that room to the outside world. Everything that made the Soviet Union an awesome assignment in the Cold War makes it one of the hardest now. I'll give you a small example. A year and a half ago, I was in Moscow during a big protest against the regime of then-Prime Minister Vladimir Putin. People marched happily down blocked-off boulevards. It was 20 below zero. To get warm, I went with some friends to a bar packed with opposition journalists. The protest wasn't even over yet, but they were making toasts and cheering and tweeting. New York Times columnist and Russian magazine editor Masha Gessen sat at the back of a crowded table. I reached her a few weeks ago over Google Voice to talk about that day.
2: It was was an amazing, amazing scene, yeah, absolutely.
1: I had never seen Russians this happy before. My American brain immediately concluded this was the effect of stirring talk of democracy. But Masha Gessen says it was more subtle than that. It wasn't about big ideals, just this. People hanging out together in public, speaking their minds.
2: It really felt like um, like we had all found one another. You know, like I had been living for years feeling like the only person who didn't like what was going on and who understood what was going on.
1: Masha Gessen's grandmother had been a Soviet censor of foreign journalists in Moscow. Gessen herself left Moscow in 1981 with her parents and brother after three years as Jewish refuseniks, would-be emigres who lived in a kind of societal limbo while waiting for permission to leave the Soviet Union.
2: I remember, I'm old enough to remember, and sort of I was in tune enough, and my parents talked to me enough to remember how anti-Semitism was fanned in the 1970s.
1: Despite those memories, Gessen started coming back to Russia as a journalist in the early 90s. It was the best story in the world, she says, even as the story got worse and worse. First, the wars in Chechnya, then bombings in Moscow, and horrific scenes of hostages dying in theaters and schools. Gessen stuck it out through all of that. Only now, with the events of the past year, has she finally decided she has to go, that the situation in Russia is hopeless for her. May 6, 2012 was the day before Putin's inauguration as president once again. Surprisingly, Moscow authorities allowed a protest. But Gessen now believes it was a trap. Hundreds were arrested after clashing with police, and Gessen's 11-year-old daughter was caught in the crowd.
2: That was the first blow, just being fooled and, uh, and beaten. And, you know, and all of a sudden, being made to feel terrified in a place that, that had come to feel safe and you know i mean the 2 hours i spent waiting for my daughter to get out of the of, the, of that part of uh, moscow where the, the the violence was was continuing and I went on for hours um, you know that was the scariest time i've ever spent in my life
1: some protesters are on trial and may get 6 or more years in prison and what happened next affected gessen even more personally the putin regime has never really catered to social conservatives but now it's passed a bevy of laws against blasphemy and homosexuality. Gesson is a lesbian and she and her partner fear they could lose their children if they stay in Russia and so like her parents, she's packing up
2: It makes you feel really dumb and it makes you know it's like it's like if my mother were alive she might not refrain from saying I told you so uh, but my friends and I have actually talked about this how dumb it makes me feel to be having the exact same conversation that my parents were having with their friends.
1: Unlike her parents, Gessen can still come back to visit. She's writing books about the Pussy Riot protesters and also the Boston Marathon bombers. But she won't be doing that with the unique vantage point of someone who lives in Russia. Even as Masha Gessen leaves, though, other immigrants are coming back. Just don't ever use those words coming back to Michael Idov.
3: Well, it's, Difficult to apply these sort of easy narratives to my family because my family did not leave Russia. My family left independent Latvia, which turned out to be a much more hostile environment than the Soviet Union ever was.
1: Idov's family left Riga in 1992 when he was 16. After an unhappy time in Cleveland, they ended up in Michigan, and then Idov made his own way to New York City. He was enjoying a successful career as a writer and editor at New York Magazine in 2011, when g q Russia offered him a job as editor, how hard a choice was that for you
3: not hard at all why i'm the editor in chief of g q <laughs> no seriously <It's>, i mean <laughs> the job is great enough that you know i would do it anywhere, so uh the fact that uh I can do it in a country where i you know actually Speak the language and have a lot of friends is, uh, is just a fantastic bonus.
1: I've known Michael Eidoff since he was a kid, just out of college in Brooklyn. It's been amazing and a little terrifying to watch his star rise in Russia. In the wealthy hothouse of Moscow, fashion plus media, he really is a celebrity.
0: Михаил Идов,
2: американский русский писатель и журналист. Родился в Риге в 1976 году. С 1998 года живет в нью Almost
1: every time Idov does an interview in Russia, someone basically asks him, what are you doing here? You could have stayed
3: in New York. I've since learned to turn that around, and I just sort of look at these people, and I'm like, I just say, you know, why do you hate Russia so much? And then they just kind of go like white in the face and, and, uh, um, and that ends that line of questioning.
1: But sometimes away from the cameras, the conversation with other journalists has turned nasty for Idov. Last fall, a fellow editor in Russia's Condé Nast Network started posting snide remarks about certain Jewish men of letters who come to Russia to get ahead since they're, quote, uncomfortable in the projects in Brighton Beach. Idov says he asked the editor in private to stop the tirades, but they only got louder. So one day, when they were both out in public, Idov slapped him in the face. It was the only answer, he wrote on Facebook at the time, to an anti-Semitic slur. Now, though, he sounds a little more philosophical.
3: Uh, Russia is, sti- uh, is still a deeply anti-Semitic country on many levels, and that's just, uh, that's just the reality of it. You know, but in the same way, you know, as the United States is, on several levels, a deeply racist country. It's just, it's something in in the DNA, unfortunately, that's uh, hopefully going away over time, but it's a long process.
1: Meanwhile, Idov is writing about events in Russia for The New Yorker and multiple international editions of GQ. From his unusual insider-outsider perch, he wants us to understand that.
3: Somehow, Moscow, for example, and Russia in general is becoming a much you know, people-friendlier place and, and a much more livable place just on the basic level of decent food, transportation, parks, uh, social safety net, just as the political uh, situation gets grimmer and grimmer. And I see a lot of the young people kind of torn between these uh, things. It's like on the one hand we you know we are getting free you know bike share programs and uh, and fantastic espressos etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's this idyllic very westernized european life and at the same time you know a friend of a friend is in jail for uh you know joining a protest
1: the country where idov was born is gone and he sees little sign it could ever return
3: the soviet union was never like this
4: I don't know. I used to really resist the, the tag of, you know, neo-Soviet or re-Sovietization, but sadly it's starting to appear more and more appropriate.
1: Longtime Guardian correspondent Miriam Elder was not born in the Soviet Union. Her parents fled from there separately in the late 70s. Of the world they left behind, she says.
4: Growing up, it was always this very far away place that almost didn't exist. I mean, So my parents got married in 77, and uh, I was born shortly after. And by the time I was, I think, three years old, they had changed our last name and everything. Like, they just thought that they were never, ever, ever going back. So
1: it was Miriam Elder, not Miriam Wojtyshevsky, who six years ago packed her bags for Moscow. Her parents hadn't even spoken that much Russian with her at home, and her mother especially was none too pleased. I don't know. I don't think she really wanted me to come here at
4: first. You know, part of the idea, I guess, is, you know, we. I went through so much effort to get out of there,
1: and you just get on a plane and, and fly and fly right back. Another part of her mom's trepidation was that a former KGB officer, Vladimir Putin, was running the country. She believed that signaled an end to the changes that began with perestroika and ran through the 1990s. Her daughter didn't see things that way, not until this last year, which saw in quick succession the crackdown on the protest movement, the imprisonment of Pussy Riot and other opposition activists, the anti-gay legislation, and a new law requiring NGOs to register as, quote-unquote, foreign agents. The
4: way that I've heard some Russians describe it, I think it's, they put it really well. It's not even that it's targeting people that are against Putin or against the government. It's just targeting sort of independent-minded people.
1: Have you been called a foreign agent? <laughs>
4: Yet many, many, many,
1: many times. <laughs> all these sons and daughters of the Soviet Jewish diaspora say becoming a Russia correspondent was a no-brainer. They had the chance to live in a huge, underreported, rapidly changing country, plus the advantage of cultural and linguistic fluency. We've all benefited from their nuanced understanding of Russia and their personal urge to understand it. But because of their family histories, they're all too aware of how badly things could turn out. Over the last year, Miriam Elder says her parents have only gotten more anxious about her work in Russia. There's a lot of concern for me, concern
4: for my friends. They know I have a lot of friends among Russian journalists. So it's, yeah, overwhelming
1: concern and a desire for me to come home. This summer, Miriam Elder is finally listening to her parents. She'll be starting soon as the foreign editor for BuzzFeed in New York. She's coming home. For Vox Tablet, I'm Julia Barton.
0: Julia Barton is an independent producer based in Brooklyn. Masha Gessen is the author, most recently, of The Man Without a Face. It's a biography of Vladimir Putin. Michael Idov is the editor-in-chief of Russia GQ. And Miriam Elder is the outgoing Moscow correspondent for The Guardian. For links to their latest dispatches from Moscow, come to our website, tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Thank you so much for joining us, and please join us again.